This is episode 693 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's podcast, poop in a bucket for two weeks. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, this episode is sponsored by the exclusive Prepper Website email group, which allows you to communicate with other preppers right from your email. You don't have to worry about your every link, click, or word being tracked by social media. This email group resides on the same servers as Prepper Website. Other benefits include members-only videos, periodic webinars, and bi-monthly online meetups. This is a great value for $20 a year. To join the community, visit PrepperWebsite.net or click the link in the show notes. Hey, before we jump into the episode, I want to just give a quick shout out to Midwest Frank for leaving a five-star review on iTunes, or I guess it's called Apple Podcasts now. Um, He said, I wanted to leave a review because I get a lot of value out of your show. I work as a mental health therapist in Chicago, Illinois. A few years ago, before the virus and civil uprising, I disregarded the preparedness community. Now, after all the crazy storms and changes in our world, I think that it's crazy not to have some sort of plan for a disaster event. Thank you so much for doing this show. Frank, I greatly appreciate your review. Uh, I just love seeing those come through, and I'm glad that... uh, you were able to see all the craziness in this world and realize that it's crazy not to be prepared. And so uh, thank you again for doing that. Uh, Guys, when reviews are left, it's just one of those, it's a blessing to me definitely to see those things come across, but also it helps other people that are starting to look at uh, other podcasts and say, hey, okay, this is something that people are finding value in. So I greatly appreciate when something like that is done. Hey, uh, the last couple of weeks I've been talking about preparedness webinars and it's a new project that I have going on and I'm going to be doing the very first one this Thursday. That's May the 20th. So if you're listening to this at the very beginning of the week when I release the podcast, you still have time to sign up for it or really the idea is to, to invite other people that are either new to preparedness or realize they need to be prepared but they don't know where to start. And that's really going to be the focus of it. It's not really designed for those that are already prepared. I mean, you're welcome to come. Um, Hopefully you get something out of it. But I'm really targeting. I really feel like it's part of my mission. And what I need to be doing is to focus on those that are not prepared. There's so many things. I mean, it was just really eye-opening. This last winter storm that we had, I think winter storm Yuri down here in Texas, very eye-opening to hear some of the stories and some of the things that were going on, which should have not happened. People died, should not have happened if they just would have been a little bit prepared. I'm not even talking about like full blown out, you know, prepper with, you know, two years worth of food. I'm just talking about just a little bit prepared, a little understanding of, of how to do things. And so that's really what I'm going to be focusing on. I really find that that is uh, a calling that I feel like I have here. And so any any promotion that you can do, any sharing of the link, any, you know, anything word of mouth, just word of mouth. I'm like, hey, go to preparednesswebinars.com. Again, that's going to be released on May 20th. It's going to be live. I'm looking forward to it. And then I'm going to be looking forward to doing it 
more often. So I really don't know how all that looks. I know that I've received some really good feedback so far. So uh, I'm really, or interest at least. So I'm really excited to uh, to move forward with this. So again, the link is in the, the show notes if you want to go check it out, or you can just go to preparednesswebinars.com. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our article of this episode. Hey, you know, most of the time when people talk about off-grid, I mean, we're thinking about power, we're thinking about food, making our own food, we're talking about all those different kinds of things. We're not really thinking about, though, where does all the poop go? And, you know, if you really think about it, that's something that is very important to to figure out. You know, if you're thinking about all those prepper novels and the dystopian fiction that we have out there, um, you hear about all the other things, right? You read about all the other things, those kinds of things, you know, like, hey, we've got uh, our defenses, we have ammo, we have guns, we have this, we have that, food. But we, you never hear about this kind of stuff to, being talked about. And this is important. Uh, the golden hordes, you might not ever face the golden hordes, but you are definitely going to face having to do something with your waste. And that is something that we need to be thinking about. And it might not even be like off-grid. It might not even be the end of the world as we know it. It could be just a disruption that lasts longer than many of us are used to, right? And so what do you do with all of that? So this really, this article is going to be focused on that long-term scenario. What do you do with all that all that poop, right? It's kind of funny to be talking about it like that. But what are you going to do with all that poop? It can definitely be very, very messy, right? And so uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into this one. Uh, this article was written by my friend Mick Rowland over at his website. He's an author, has a great, uh, great lineup of books you really need to ch- check out. Very active in the exclusive email group and in our Zooms when we get together every other week uh, online. And he just has a lot of great knowledge. He 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 homesteads. He does uh, his his own deal. So he he knows what he's talking about as far as living off grid. He tries to do that as much as possible. But he did a test, right? Uh, and he called this article a gear test, poop in a bucket for two weeks, because it was something that came up in our online meeting. And so we were talking about what do you do with all of that? Again, it's something that's not really discussed a lot of the times. Uh, and so at least when people are talking about it, they're thinking about, okay, maybe we should just build an outhouse. And that's definitely one of those options that you have. But what if there was other options that you could have that would be even more beneficial? And so I think Mick did a great job here. He uh, he really went to bat for everybody by doing this test. And you're going to see that uh, it's really doable here in so many doable, right? In so many different ways. So uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to jump through this article. I'm going to stop a little bit uh, as, as we go and just kind of comment a little bit and share some other resources I think that I have found throughout the years that I have considered myself. And uh, we'll just kind of go from there. But I think this is something important that everyone at least should have in the back of their mind. Where do we go from here? All right, so again, coming to us from mick-roland.com, gear test, poop in a bucket for two weeks. For many preppers out there, how to go sustainably after SHTF is potentially a big problem. Bugging in is a popular strategy, but many homes depend on municipal sewer and water. 
Where do you go when your toilets stop working? The problem was discussed on one of the prepper group meetups on Zoom. Mostly the discussion was focused on how to properly plug up one's toilet and drains to keep city sewage from backing up into one's homes. But after you've successfully blocked your toilets, where does the bugged in prepper go? All right, so let me just talk a little bit about that. One of the, and the reason this came up is where I live, I was always concerned about the sewer and backups of the sewer. And in talking with someone, I actually, when, when I was doing weddings, I did a wedding for a guy who worked for that part of the county and who did that work. And I asked him, listen, what happens when the power goes out and, you know, we're, you know, we're definitely not on a gravity fed sewer system. And he said, well, you're on a gravity fed sewer system to get to a pumping station. And then after that, you get, after it gets to a pumping station, it pumps the sewage over uh, and then into another gravity fed line that continues going. Right. And then it gets to another pumping station and it, and it goes until it gets to the, uh, you know, to the, to the sewage plant. And so my next question, of course, was, well, what happens if the power goes out? So if the power goes out, they have generators that these pumps can run for days. Like, okay, what if it was a longer situation? He goes, well, what we would do is we would go fill up these, you know, the, the, the generators. We would fill them up with fuel so that they can continue to pump. I'm like, okay, what would happen if it was even so long that you didn't have the fuel? And he said, eventually your pipes would back up into your home, right? The sewage would back up into your home. And so in that situation, if you're all, if you're thinking of that long, long-term situation and you are concerned about where to go, you're living in the, the suburbs, right? Um, if you're living in the city, this is really serious here, right? Um, but if you're living in the suburbs, where do you, where, where does the waste go? Eventually it's going to get to a point where it stops going. And even think about it this way. Even if you were on a gravity fed system, completely gravity fed, where there was no pumping stations, where there was no nothing like that. Eventually, if the sewage plant was not working, eventually the pipes would, would fill up anyway as well. It might take a lot longer for that to happen, but it still would happen if the sewage plant was not processing and was not, was not moving the sewage in and out. So this is something that should be considered because once you have sewage coming into your home and you don't know, you know, it's like, hey, you're done for. You can't you can't live in that situation. And so you need to have some kind of idea. So we were always talking about uh, plugging up the sewage line. Eventually, if it was a long term situation, what would you do to plug up a sewage line? And there was just a lot of ideas and things that would go along those uh, that that route. But again, if you're living in suburbia, you got to be thinking about what all your other neighbors are doing as well. And that, that's the thing, because waste can be a very volatile situation. <laughs> of course, it's volatile, but it can be a very bad situation as far as causing disease and infecting your water and doing all these kinds of things that we don't even consider that we don't even it's not even in our, you know, in, in, in our area here talking about because we are so far removed from that because we have waste, we have sewage uh, uh, plants, we have all that kind of stuff. But in third world countries or villages where uh, people, you know, th they don't have sewage lines, 
this is a really big situation. I mean, there are programs that talk about or tell villagers how to use the restroom, where to go use the restroom, because if not, they're going to be uh, infecting their their water supply and their cholera and all kinds of diseases and everything is going to be going going wrong. So this is something that's very important when you're thinking about long, long term. And so that was one of our discussions as far in, in the in the Zoom online meetups that we have every other week. It's like, what would you do to plug those up? And so there's a lot of different ideas along those lines. But then it naturally goes on to the next thing. So, okay, if you're not using the sewage lines, what do you do with that? Now, again, those that are living out in the country, very easy. I mean, my dad tells me stories about he hated going out to visit cousins out in the country because they had an outhouse. That's the way that they used the restroom, right? Uh, even even back back then, uh, when they had sewage lines and regular restrooms and things like that, where he lived when he was a little boy, and so he you know he recalls those things. Those are easy to do, easy to make. It's an easy thing to consider, but you always got to think about your water supply and your water table because more than likely, if you're out there and you're homesteading or you're out in the country then you're getting your water from a well um, and, and those kinds of things need to be considered and you, you need to have a little bit of understanding and knowledge how that works. We're Like I said, we're very far removed from that. So again, the conversation comes up to what do you do with all that poop, right? What do you, you have to, you go at least once a day um, and then depending on how many people you have in your home and you think about how fast that would multiply. Right now, what you hear in the preparedness community, you talk about five gallon buckets with some kind of a seat with trash bags. And that's usually what you hear. Now, that's fine in a short-term situation where you're able to get rid of the trash bags and you're able to send those somewhere. But what happens if it was a little bit of a longer term? You know, what are you going to do with all those trash bags? You got to do something. And so I, I love that Mick, he took the time to go ahead and uh, do this and he wrote an article about it. So let's continue on. So an unglamorous piece of prepper gear is the five-gallon poop bucket. Amazon even sells a product ready-made for the task, the Luggable Lou. There are many YouTube videos on DIY versions. Everything looks simple and easy on a video, but what would using one really be like? I decided to find out for myself. I would use a homemade bucket or a loo for two weeks. Getting the bucket was easy. A contractor friend gave me several five-gallon buckets that had contained joint compound or paint. I did not have one of those toilet seats made to fit a bucket. While you can buy those like this one, I have not yet. I wanted to model a surprise event such that I did not have time to get one from Amazon. Instead, I cut one out of scratch. Grab a, cut one out of a scrap of plywood, sanding down the edges. Of course, it worked fine, but I would be buying a plastic one like the Link in order to be a little bit more spouse friendly. And so uh, he has some uh, uh, some pictures here that I think are, are really interesting. And so uh, you could go kind of see what he's talking about. But I, I love that idea of like sanded it down, right? Uh, again, this is going to be something that people are going to have to get used to. Like if they had to do this, this is kind of just like a mental, complete mental shift of, of how to do things. And it would be really hard for some people. Hey, everyone. I wanted to break into this episode to tell you about a new outdoor website called Rerouted. 
Rerouted is creating a trusted online marketplace to revolutionize the used outdoor gear industry and to allow all people to create their own outdoor adventure. Buying new outdoor gear can be extremely expensive and Rerouted wants to offer a sustainable alternative. Now, Preppers are always looking for ways to save money, but you don't want to cut corners when you are buying gear and equipment that you will have to depend on. We have all purchased that cheap piece of gear only to find out when you really use it, it didn't hold up to real use. What would happen in a true emergency? Now, good gear is made to last. So even if it's used, it will last a lot longer than the stuff from China that you can buy for cheap. But that is not all that Rerouted offers. Rerouted allows you to sell your used gear too. So you might have some gear that you have outgrown or gear that is laying around because you have upgraded since you started your preparedness journey. You could put your used gear on Craigslist or sell it at a garage sale, but you will always earn more when people who know the true value of what you're selling buy it. This is a great way to earn a little bit of extra money while giving someone a great opportunity to buy some quality gear. So the website is rerouted.co. Again, that's rerouted.co. Go check them out. I'll post a link in the episode notes to make it easy for you. Rerouted gear, sustainable future, new adventures. Now back to the podcast. All right. So most of the videos extol the ease of using a dry toilet, but they also have a large supply of kitty litter or big pile of sawdust to use between uses. I don't have a cat and barely a gallon of sawdust is under my table saw. It did not seem practical that a prepper was supposed to store 50 pounds of kitty litter or a cubic yard of sawdust just in case his or her toilet stopped working. That seemed impractical and really hard to talk a non-prepper spouse into. I needed a more sustainable and readily available substrate. Since I use shredded autumn leaves as litter for my chicken coop, I figured it was worth a try as people litter. Here in New Hampshire's woods, leaves are inexhaustible resources. Inexhaustible resources. I shredded up enough of last autumn's leaves to fill a five-gallon bucket. I don't know how much it matters, but for the sake of, you know, science, the leaves were red oak, sugar maple, and beech, roughly a 40-40-20 mix. Let me just stop for a second. One of the resources that I want to point you to that really has done a lot of work with humanure is Joseph Jenkins, and he has a website called thehumanurehandbook.com with a lot of interesting um videos and uh, articles and information. And he has uh, something, he calls it the lovable Lou. And uh, so I think this is something that you would consider uh, if this was something you wanted to think about and wanted to pursue a little bit further. You want to go check out his website. He's got a lot of information over there. And he talks about using all different kinds of mediums to be able to uh, use in this situation. And so Mick used leaves, and that is a good resource. Um, like when I think about even living in the suburbs where I am, um, I have trees where leaves are always falling, and so I can very easily have a bunch of leaves. The issue is so Mick uses leaves for his chicken coop, and uh, that's another thing. He's shared that information of his chicken coop and raising chickens on our uh, exclusive email group, did a little webinar for us. So it was really cool, but I thought that was interesting because when I had chickens, I just went to the to the feed store and I would have straw. I didn't have a lot of chickens. Mick has a lot, a lot of chickens. And so he's using something a little bit more sustainable. He is using leaves that he finds. So I don't know if he has like a, a, an electric shredder or a power shredder, 
But of course, if we're talking about uh, something you know long term, that probably would not be available. So you would have to have a way to get leaves and then somehow dry them out because you couldn't crush them. You would have to crush them manually somehow. And they would have to be dry enough to be able to crush by hand or to be, you know, to walk on them or, or whatever that might look like. So you think about a big bin that would have, uh, you know, that wind or air would be able to come through that would be able to be covered so you don't have, you know, rain getting uh, soaking the leaves or anything like that. And so that's something that would need to be done. A little bit of thought to put into this. So you think about this one situation here, and that's the thing. When you talk about off-grid, when you talk about you know the, the poop hitting the fan, literally, when you talk about that kind of stuff, there are a lot of things that go into your everyday life. You're not going to be sitting around a fire just waiting for the golden horde. There's going to be things going on that you have to do. And this, is, this would be one of those things if you pursued this type of sanitation process. So you would have to find leaves or some kind of material grass, dried grass, and you'd have to keep it dry, shredded so that you can use this in your homemade lose, right? So uh, I think that's interesting. Again, Mick does a great job of providing um, some pictures for us so that we get a good idea of what it looks like and what is going on. His leaves are, are shredded uh, really, really small. And I think that's going to be important moving forward. All right, so uh, first rule here, moving forward with his article, is separation. One of the first things the videos tell you is to only deposit solids in the bucket. Liquids need to be handled separately. More on that later. Keeping them separate seems to be the key to odor management. After each deposit, I tossed in just enough leaf, leaf shreds to provide about an inch of coverage. At first, I put the bucket covers back on, thinking it would contain the stink. When taking the cover off, did not release a toxic cloud. In fact, there was no smell at all. I started leaving the cover off altogether. And so that's one of the recommend recommendations of uh, Joseph Jenkins' website, right? The Humanor Handbook, is that eventually you do wind up putting a lid on, uh, but that is after the, uh, the bucket is full. So, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but there's really no smell at all. And again, when uh, Mick was talking about his chickens and when, if you have chickens and you're familiar with this, the deep litter method is whenever there is any smell, you just throw more, whatever it is, right? The medium, whether it's uh, shredded leaves or you're using straw or whatever, you just start throwing more on top of that. The chickens press that down and the smell goes away. And so the same idea applies here. So I did not open the window or run the exhaust fan. It is not a large bathroom. So if it was going to stink, that should have manifest itself. It did not. Even as the bucket was nearing capacity toward the end of the two weeks, there was hardly any smell at all. Now for me, an average size older male eating an average diet, it took me about two weeks and a bit less than five gallons of shredded leaves to get through two weeks of bucket use. If there are two of you using the bucket, you could get a week out of a bucket of leaf shreds. If you have teenage boys who eat and deposit like horses, well, your mileage may vary. The metric of one person needing five gallons of leaf shreds to cover two weeks will give you an idea of how much leaf shred you'll need and how often you'll have to empty the bucket. So what do you do when the bucket is full? So since I'm in the country, I can dig a hole in the woods in which to empty my bucket. This needs to be done far from your water source, of course. 
If you're in the suburbia, you may still have a part of your yard that could accept a hole. If you live in an urban hardscape, you might have to include heavy-duty trash bags as a liner for your bucket. Amazon sells those too. What you do with a stack of poop bags would be the next challenge. I don't have to worry about it, but if you're an urban prepper, you might put some thought into what you do with your bags. All right, so let me stop here and let me just talk a little bit further about uh, Joseph Jenkins and his process with the lovable Lou that he talks about. So again, one of the things that he recommends is after you fill a five-gallon bucket, you cover it up uh, and you just let it sit. And you do this for about, I don't know, you, you get about four or five buckets worth. So in the videos that I have watched in the past, there's about five or six buckets that they're dealing with that are that are full. So then when you have those full, what you do is you move to a compost bin. Now that's going to freak a lot of people out and that's going to just really wig people out and people that are like, no, you don't put human waste in a garden. The thing is, is that we're talking about a two-year process for this compost uh this compost situation, this compost bin to finish off decomposing and getting to a safe place that you can use it. So um, this is what it looks like. You have a compost bin and you have this created and it has to sit in or on the ground somewhere. So it has to have contact with soil. Of course, you're going to build that up you know, and you're going to have uh, some regular or, or organic material in there. When your lovable loos are filled up, you're going to um, move and dig a little bit of a hole inside of your compost bin. And you're going to pour that material in there, all the things that are in there in the buckets. You're going to pour that in there and then you're going to cover it up. You're going to cover it up with more material. So again, just like the buckets should not smell, your compost bin should not smell either. If you put enough, uh, you're putting the, the new compost, you know, the, the stuff from the buckets inside of a hole and you're covering it up with, uh, you know, with new material, with shredded leaves or whatever it might be, whatever you have straw in, in your dead grass, whatever, you're, you're covering it up. So what do you do then with those buckets? Because those buckets need to be cleaned out and to be reused. And so I have seen some videos where it's actually kind of a, a little station that you have where you have a couple of different compost bins. And these are pretty big, uh, pretty big situations where they have uh, even a roof over, but there is some kind of a water source. And so he talks about there's two, two liters are needed to clean out the uh the, uh, the buckets, the five gallon buckets with like a toilet brush and uh, a little bit of soap. Of course, you're wearing gloves. And so you're, you're rinsing out these uh, five gallon buckets and you're pouring the water into the compost bin. So you're not using that water for any other situation other than pouring it into the compost bin. So you do this for a whole year and you continue to build up this compost bin for a whole year. After that year, you let that compost bin sit for another year. So from the from the beginning to the end, you're looking at two years before you even touch this compost so that uh, you, you can use it in any kind of uh, gardening or fertilizer situation, that kind of stuff. So that's really important to remember. You're, you're building up the compost bin for a year, then you're letting it sit and, and to cook and to uh, decompose for a whole year. You don't have to turn it. 
It's not advised that you turn it. You just let it sit there. The reason that it needs to sit on soil is because the microbes and the organisms from the soil will move into the compost and will help with the breaking down of the waste and the things that are there. After two years, um, you should have compost that is ready to go. Again, that's going to freak people out. You're, you've always heard, don't use that. But we're talking about two years of decomposition going on. And it breaks down all the, the disease and all that's there. Listen, there's people all over the world that's using this system. It's not something that's just a theory. If you go to uh, Joseph Jenkins' website, you will see that he goes to a lot of third, third world countries and he shares this information. And so there's a lot of uh, a lot of places that use this. You know, it's definitely something that needs to be considered. So that is a very short description and understanding of it. There's got to be more to it, but you think about, or at least more, you need to get a little bit more understanding of it uh, and go do a little bit more research. But that is a possibility because then you're not just, well, you might be in a situation where you, you can't build an outhouse. You might be in a situation where you can't continue digging holes every you know, every week and, and put it somewhere else. Eventually, uh, you know, things are going to not, uh, not work out there. And so you need to have some kind of a process. I always thought that what I would do, I would recommend to my community if we were truly in a off-grid, you know, things things deteriorated situation is that some of these stations would need to be built, you know, across the neighborhood where people would be able to 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 work this and, and to get rid of waste and to use this uh, because you don't want a situation where people are using the restroom in the yard and people are using the restroom outside because then you're walking and you're tracking stuff all over the place. And then again, like I said, people get sick and it's an issue that the third world and third world villages and, and people like that face. We've never had to face that ever here, you know, in, in any of our lifetimes, people that are listening to this, but it would be something that would come up very quickly. All right, so moving on, because he finishes out here talking about liquid gold. So you want to realize what this is. All right, so back on the topic of the separated liquids. I collected my liquids into a gallon milk jug. Being a gardener, I had a perfect way to dispose of the collected liquids. PT makes an excellent DIY fertilizer. Diluted 8 to 1. Again, guys, that is 8 to 1. The resulting tea is high in nitrogen but not so high as to damage the plants. There are a surprising number of YouTube videos on this too. A day's worth of collection yielded around a half gallon of liquid gold. This mixed with four gallons of water was poured around my garden plants. Some of the strawberries coming out of winter hibernation, some for the raspberries just putting out their leaves. The pear and apple trees took a few gallons each. With a big garden, it would be hard for just one person to produce too much fertilizer tea. Of course, you stop any such fertilizing a week or two or several waterings before harvesting. If you're squeamish at the thought of tea fertilizer on your foods, you can limit the fertilizing to things that fruit above the ground like fruit trees, berry bushes, corn, beans, etc. and avoid using it on root crops. Personally, I'm not bothered by it. Urine is sterile as it leaves your body. It's not potentially laden with pathogens like the solids. Humanure is a whole other topic. 
but even that can be rendered safe for garden use. So using the buckets for two weeks was surprisingly easy and did not stink. Leaf shreds worked great, even though I have a private septic system, so it doesn't matter if the grid goes down or not. It is nice to know that I've got a viable backup system. So what about you? Have you figured out what you'll do if city water and sewer fail where you live? If not, the answer could be as simple as a bucket. All right, so uh, very interesting, and thanks for uh, doing that for us, Mick, doing the uh, the test and figuring out how to uh, go about doing all of that, and and just not you know what I what I appreciate is that it's just not something you read on the internet. It's somebody that I know that is uh, really interested in you know sharing this information and is is going to tell you the truth, right? Mick's not going to lie to you. So I really appreciate the fact that uh, you know he he went through this little test for everybody. So it's one of those things to to think about, like so many other things to be thinking about. And really one of those things, maybe just to keep in the back of your mind, if you don't want to think about, at least you can keep in the back of your mind. What do you do with all of this information? So again, the uh, another resource uh, that you can go link to. Now, of course, I'm going to link, link to Mix. Uh, website and mix article. You can go check it out. You can see the pictures uh, and uh, you can link to all the, you know, the things that he was talking about, like the, uh, the five bucket lid that uh, you could use if, uh, to, so you wouldn't have to use wood and sand it down. Right. Uh, so you can uh, go check all of that kind of stuff out, check out his books while you're there as well. But I'm also going to link to Joseph Jenkins website, humanorhandbook.com. And so you can go and uh, look at some of the other information that's there as well. They've got videos and and things that um, it would be, again, it's very hard to wrap your mind around for a lot of people when we're talking about things like this, because we've always talked about, or we've always heard that it's unsanitary and you really need to be careful and all those different kinds of things. But there's a lot of people doing this all across the world. And so it is something that can be used if you have the space, if you have the time, if you're willing to do it. Uh, if you're not willing to do it, you're going to have to do something if if we're in a situation like that. All right. So, guys, that's it. Like I said, I'm going to link to these um, to mix article and also to the other website for more research. Well, guys, that is it for episode 693. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And don't forget, if you're looking for more preparedness and self-reliant information, head on over to PrepperWebsite.com, where we link to 8 to 12 articles every day of the very best self-reliant articles out there. We also have pages dedicated to alternative news, firearms, DIY, Bible prophecy, frugal living, and homesteading. Guys, I just want to just stop just really quickly here. I was looking at the analytics for Prepper website, and one of the featured articles that is just visited over and over and over again is that Weekly Watchman, and that's where I put Bible prophecy teachers and stuff like that. So I was very surprised that that was a link that was hit over and over again. So anyway, if you're interested into that, I always talk about that a lot of Bible prophecy teachers are talking about uh, things that are going on, current events that are not necessarily talked about in the mainstream media. So even if you're not a believer, just hearing that information, would you would hear about things that are going on that you wouldn't see in a lot of other places. All right, so just that little wanted to trail off there. I thought that was something I wanted to share. So lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. 
When you do, I'm going to send you a free PDF on 25 handpicked preparedness articles that you should read. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.